Hello and welcome to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast with me, Sam. Today I'm joined by Adam and James as we look back over Norwich's 2-1 win over Hull. Cool, so before we get into the game, Adam, were there any surprises in the team selection for you? Um, not necessarily a surprise, but I was very pleased to see Rose starting. I think if you ask most fans before the game, I think they might have said they would like to see Rose start, but probably over Hernandez rather than Fashionet. But it was still good to see that Wagner gave Rowe a chance from the start. Unbelievably, it was his first Norwich start, which... <laughs> which kind of seemed weird because he seems to have been around a couple of years now, obviously. And I think even like Tony Spring, it's got a start to his name. So it was great to see Rowe get the start. And I would say that was, what, the only real change from the friendly last week? Yeah, I think the 11 we expected, as you say, apart from Rowe coming in. Well, now we get into the game itself. James, do you want to talk a little bit about the shape on the ball? So generally, when we had settled possession, you'd usually see McLean drop back into the middle of the centre-backs and then Sarah would be in front of them as like a single pivot. It was a bit different yesterday because sometimes you'd see Sarah take McLean's job and McLean would be higher up. And I think that often worked better because Sarah, he just seems to be more controlled in that build-up phase, less likely to give the ball away. And it worked quite well because Hull themselves were pressing in like a 4-4-2 shape. So you'd create that 3-V-2. So we played pretty easily around their front two. It was a bit different from goal kicks. We'd have the two midfielders quite close together and the centre-backs would split either side of the goalie. The full-backs would drop in quite deep and we'd often play out through the fullbacks or into the pivot and then it would be bounced out wide to either of the fullbacks and uh, we saw quite a few moves in the first 30 minutes build up that way. Yeah, it worked really successfully I think in the end and actually I think it was something even over the course of the whole 90 that Hull never got to grips with. I mean, the Lap and Tufan were basically trying to press, but with McLean sitting in the middle of Gibson and Duffy, it was very easy to create a pass into Gibson or into Duffy and then into the wide areas. So yeah, I think it was definitely something that maybe was kind of more to do with Hull's poor off-the-ball shape, really, that helped Norwich. But were there any standouts for you in that opening half an hour, Adam? Obviously, Sara had a really, really good game on and off the ball. Yes, Sara just is one of those players that makes the game look so easy. As James mentioned, we saw him drop in between Gibson and Duffy quite often, and we could connect the play so much more uh, smoothly than when we see uh, McLean do that from time to time. And McLean frustrates me because he made the exact same mistake as he made against Olympiakos last week, where he got robbed pretty much the exact same spot and for the exact same reason that he didn't check his shoulder. That was just five minutes in. Luckily, Janulis came across and cut the danger out, if I remember rightly. And Janulis, if you're looking for players who really stood out, on Saturday, then definitely the Greek left-back was one of them. For me, one of his best performances in a Norwich shirt. He was one of those players that I felt was pretty relentless throughout the 90 minutes, catching the eye. Very tidy in possession, pretty much technically perfect. I couldn't really remember any issues he had on the ball, but also he was very aggressive off of it and was even coming inside sometimes to, to clear up situations and was obviously part of the goal that we come on to later in the half. Was there anybody that you would like to mention, Sam? I think probably in that opening 30 minutes, Sarah did really well. I think actually what McLean did well, obviously you highlighted his error on the ball, but what he did really well was press out of possession. So when Hull, especially in the first 30 minutes, which was quite noticeable, was when they were trying to pass to Seri, 
who was the pivot for Hull, and we tried to pick the ball out from the centre-back. McLean was always on his back, which obviously prevented the two centre-backs from passing into Seri. So you saw moments within that first 30 minutes where they were trying to basically pass the ball into the central space. But because McLean was right on Seri and putting him under pressure, that was a pass that obviously couldn't happen. So what happened then is the ball would either go to the right back or the left back and they would have to try and then either clear the ball or pass it back into the central space, which was then often cut out by Norwich. So it was due to sort of McLean's pressure off the ball that actually helped disrupt Hull's play. Um, I think it's something that you would only probably notice if you watch the game back or just watching like purely McLean in what he was doing. It's probably the strongest part of his game. I know that his long-range passing can also be really, really good. And as you pointed out, Adam, sometimes his awareness and his 360 vision isn't that good. But actually, I think off the ball, he was really, really impressive in that first 30 minutes. Definitely on the repeat watch, I appreciated the amount of second balls McLean won throughout the match as well. And yeah, I think that sort of links in from what you're saying there as well. Well, I think we can probably talk about the error that uh, led to Hull's goal against the run of play. To be honest, it's just like a bit of a mix-up rather that was something endemic within the Norwich performance. For me, what the issue is, is that Duffy doesn't go back to gun. It's obviously a ball that uh, goes over the top and he lets it run through. And I think because Gibson's gone into a duel with the lap, it means that when Duffy is looking up the pitch, he can't see that the lap's just behind Gibson. So when he is, then tries to play forward, he's closed down by the lap. And it's that point that he decides to go back or he tries to go laterally uh, to Stacey. And then that's when he plays the pass off Gibson and the lap's able to run through. Do you think there was anything else that he could have done in that situation to prevent that error? He could have stuck his foot through it. Obviously, that's not how we want to play. It's just a complete mix-up all round because in the end, Gibson ended up just blocking the pass back to Gunn. He did actually, in the end, decide to go back to gun, but Gibson just ran in the way. There's just a complete mix-up between them, really, and hopefully not something that becomes a theme. Yeah, um, I think there's some blame to put on both centre-backs in that situation. But overall, it, it was also quite good forward play from Delap, who who had a very good game, you have to say, as well, which was very interesting because certainly I noticed on championship chats on, on, on Twitter last season that he was almost a bit of a joke figure in his loan spells. So it was it was quite interesting to see just how well he played against Gibson yesterday. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see if that was a one-off and it was more down to Gibson <laughs> not being very good in, in terms of those individual duels against him or we're about to see Delap become a much better striker than he was looking looking last season. The difference for me with Liam Delap from last season to this season is his strength and conditioning. I think he's really bulked up over the summer. Watching like bits of him or highlights when he was on loan at Stoke, he just didn't seem very convincing at all. But I'm not sure that Gibson was completely aware he's, he was going to be in such a physical battle because there were so many deals. I mean, over the course of uh, 90 minutes when you have a centre-back going up against a centre-forward. You'd expect the defender to win most of those aerial duels or 50-50s or if the, the strikers are receiving the ball and the defender's coming from behind, you expect the defender to win most of those tackles. And Gibson just couldn't do it. He did okay to roughly 30 minutes. So we're obviously still talking about the period between like 0 and 30. But it was after 30 minutes that he really, really struggled and started to lose more duels. Um, after that 30-minute mark, that's when he received the yellow card because uh, he just had to bring down the lap. So yeah, it was a battle that Gibson lost in the end. Yeah, I don't think he went about it in a particularly smart way, because he did often just 
try and go through the back of him. And it made it really easy for Delap to just roll out and attack the space behind him. But I think that Delap was probably their main source of progression. I haven't really seen any stats to back this up at all. But I'd say over the match, the majority of their progression up the pitch would come from that direct ball into Delap's feet because Gibson would always try and go through him when maybe you'd think after you'd lost one or two, I should sit off and maybe not give up the space behind me. He didn't really seem to adapt. No, not at all. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something that could lead to Gibson being dropped against Southampton, but, but we'll see for the next game. I think a really nice pattern during the, this first 30 minutes as well was Jonathan Rowe coming inside. And what that meant was he'd often occupy the left-back, uh, Vinagra. So when that happened, uh, that meant that Stacey had all the space in the right channel. It also meant as well that Vaughan, who was the, the left wing of the hull, he couldn't keep up with Stacey's athleticism. So basically in the 29th minute, Stacey makes a blindsided run off Vaughan. And again, with Rowe being marked by Vinagra, then Vaughan just can't get back. That allows a 2v1 and that's the chance where Rowe plays in Stacey. Stacey hits a shot over the bar, but it should have been a goal. It was probably Norwich's, well, definitely one of Norwich's best chances over the course of that first half. But it was just a really good example about how Norwich creating that numerical overload on that side. It was thanks to Stacey, basically, picking up that space. And him and Rowe just seemed to have a really good connection, even if, when they didn't have possession. So yeah, that was really, really promising. And again, just gave Hull so many problems over that first 30 minutes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, I think it's worth noting that both Rowe and Stacey had various opportunities in in that channel to either create a chance or a shot on goal themselves. But one criticism I had of both of them for much of the first half, especially, was sort of a lack of composure in in those areas. So it, it'd be interesting if you know as their relationship develops and as the season goes on, that's a connection that that will improve and hopefully. With it, um, we see some better composure when they get into those promising positions. Okay, so now we move on to the 30 to 60 minute period. And was there anything during this time that really stuck out for you in terms of uh, on the ball, in terms of um, out of possession or any really good individual performances? I think to start the obvious one, John Rowe, he kept driving and he kept up that relationship with Stacey. He kept playing Stacey outside, kept running outside Stacey as well, which was good. I liked how that progressed. I also liked Barnes and Sargent in this period. They were also dropping quite deep uh, when we were building up, especially Barnes. He wasn't tracked at all. And there was several times where he got on the ball deep and had quite a lot of time. And there was at least one very nicely weighted pass to Stacey down the wing to set him away. Actually, I think Barnes was was okay, actually, in possession. Obviously, we've seen during preseason that both Sargent and Barnes do occasionally come deep, especially like sometimes appearing in that half space. He had to create a pass for either Duffy or Gibson. But actually, I think both of them them um, seem to link play pretty well and yeah it was just a really nice way to circulate the ball in the end I think it was during this period as well that the the counter pressing was really good obviously we talk about counter pressing in terms of when Norwich lost the ball and winning it back and one of the best things you can do in terms of this is just making the pitch really really small and compact so obviously with Norwich in that 4-4-2 shape when they lost the ball it felt like all the players within that shape move towards it and make it really, really tight. Eulis did this really well when he basically followed Traore inside. He was able to make a really good tackle on him. And then even though I think Hull ended up keeping the ball in that period, 25 seconds later, they lost it again. Because basically Norwich were in such a tight shape that they tried to play through Norwich and couldn't do it. During this period, uh, 30, 60 minutes, and even before that, it just was a really, really good way. And I just don't think Hull ever settled 
or particularly comfortable on the ball. Um, I think, James, you kind of referenced the fact that then he seemed to have one out ball, which was um, a forward pass into the lap, who was getting the best of Gibson. I just really think that made them one-dimensional, and that was basically thanks to the, the counter-pressing. Yeah, anyone who's followed Championship for a few years will know that Seri, if you give him time on the ball, can be someone who can dictate. But I feel like we did a really good job to just get on him as soon as he got the ball, not give him that space to find those forward passes. That's what made Hull such a one-dimensional team, was the work we did out of possession. So moving on to the goal itself, I think it's actually started by a really nice piece of play by Gabriel Sara. Because actually what Gibson does is that he feeds Sarah the ball in a pretty dangerous position because I think you've got Regan Slater, who's right behind Sarah. I think he's only about two yards away and Gibson plays basically like a two or three yard pass to him. And in that time, he knows he's going to only have perhaps one touch. Maybe he has to do something very, very quickly. And he manages to pass that ball into Yanoulis. And it's Yanoulis who's then able to carry the ball and pass it into Rowe. Again, I think the, the pass from Yanoulis itself is really, really tough because... He has to curl it round Seri, blocking that passing lane, and they put it into the path of Rowe. It's maybe a pass that doesn't seem too difficult at the time, but actually, especially on a wet pitch, he seems to weight it really, really well. And then obviously, we we, we can all see how, how good the finish was by Rowe in the end. Yeah, obviously, um, I think we touched on it earlier as well, but Stacey's run off the ball was also key. I think, uh, <laughs> this might, I might have remembered this wrong, but I think when I w- was watching it live, I actually said to Rowe to pass it to Stacey. <laughs> so, I, and I do wonder with Rowe whether, well, he thought, right, okay, I gave Stacey a chance 15 minutes ago. I'm going to take this one on myself this time. But what I really liked about this goal was that it really showcased Rowe's ability to be able to play with both feet. Like the thing I like most about Rowe, and I think we've sort of discussed this off of Bob before, is like his lovely balance that he's got as well on, on the ball. And, and this goal is a great example of that, where he's running with it, then shifts it onto his left to uh, to put that in the top bins, as they say. Yeah. And uh, and what a way to end the half, really, because I think it's the least that Norwich deserved to go in uh, level at the break. They completely dominated. They created more chances. They had more yeah. shots on and off target. Yeah, and a variety of chances as well. Perhaps uh, something else we could touch on here. I mean, there was a couple of moves we've already spoken about with Rowe and Jack Stacey, but there was also a couple of times where we crossed the ball into the box. I can remember one instant where Sergeant obviously um, came very close to scoring. It took an absolutely unbelievable save from the whole goalkeeper to keep it out. There was another instant where the ball was crossed in, I think, from Janoulis. It was headed back across goal, and then it looked like Sargent was about to scoop it in, but it was uh, it was just cleared by Seri, I think, for a corner. So it was good to see sort of a variety of chances being created as well. We weren't just looking for one player to produce a moment of magic or anything like that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Stacey cross from Sargent that brought that amazing save from Ingram. For me, it's the highest quality cross of the game. And it's with Stacey's weaker foot. It's just so flat, full of pace. The area that it goes into, I think it's just uh, just around the six-yard box. And I think a lot of other goalkeepers wouldn't be able to keep that out. And, and Sargent's got his first goal of the season. And also, before we leave this half, we should touch on set pieces as well. Duffy hit the post 
from a header from a set piece. I'm really confident that De- Duffy's going to score a few goals this season. I think I've seen enough evidence in the pre-season friendlies and, and even in this game that he's going to get some goals for us in those situations. And yeah, just generally there was some interesting corner routines. So I think there was one, I think it might have been just before the 30th minute mark. It was from either our first or second corner where we tried to repeat the trick that we pulled off away at Millwall last year basically there was also a couple other routines which looked like they they showed some promise so it'd be interesting to see the next time we uh we see us try and repeat those routines again in terms of the chance to create as well i think it's worth mentioning a couple of really nice gabriel sarah frubles there's particularly one to onel hernandez which was a great run by the way gotta give some credit to him but he's just got the ball looking at the whole pitch and then just sees this reverse out of nowhere. And there was actually a similar one, not quite as good to Barnes, who was offside earlier on, on his weaker foot, which led to a Barnes chipping the keeper. Unfortunately, that was offside. Yeah, I haven't seen a decent replay of that offside. I, I, I assume it that it was, but yeah. yeah. But the one they showed on iFollow was from behind the goal, which, <laughs> which is just about <laughs> the, worst, uh, the worst camera angle you can have for an offside. But um, no, I, I certainly agree about his pass to uh, Hernandez. Yeah, Emmy-esque, dare I say it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was in the 21st minute and it was the disguise on it was absolutely unbelievable as well. The gap that he had to find it through, it took out both the whole central midfielders and it was straight through, perfectly weighted to Hernandez. He took a heavy touch. Kind of thinking, I'm not sure we'll see like a high quality pass all season. It's something out of like a t- the top six in the Premier League. It really is just absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how he has the skill or ability or awareness to, to play those sort of balls. I think it's crazy that he's putting in this level of performance without basically without a pre-season. The first game of the season, he, was, he clearly wasn't fully fit because he's been subbed after 70 minutes. And he's already doing this. I think we need to just hide him away until the end of the window because if any scouts are watching, I'm not sure we'll be keeping him for too much longer. Hopefully this season, though. Yeah, I think Norwich being pretty rubbish for a lot of last season um especially that second half of the season where Sarah you know was our best player kind of helped hide him away but yeah obviously we we don't want to we don't want to be rubbish now (laughs) good stuff yeah so moving into the second half I guess there wasn't really too many changes I was surprised that the whole manager Liam Rossini didn't make any changes as well considering how dominant we were in terms of territory and uh chances created I really thought he was going to bring off Vaughan because again, Vormans was struggling so much keeping up with Stacey that I thought he might change that. They played a 4-4-2 out of possession as well in a mid-block, very similar to Norwich. I did think the one slight tactical tweak uh, this half was, and I don't know whether this was from Wagner, I don't know whether this was McLean, but essentially I think McLean tried to block that passing lane into the lap. There are a couple of times where I think he'd be roughly 10 yards in front of the lap. So it was almost there he was trying to block the pass going in because... It was so so obvious. I mean, even people in the crowd around me were saying how much Gibson was struggling with the lap. Yeah, but I think Hull's only real shot of the second half came from the lap, no? When he picked the ball up and sort of drove forward and unleashed quite a fierce shot that Gunn had to brilliantly tip over the bar. Yeah, that was in the um, 63rd minute. And actually, prior to that, it was a good example of how McLean had failed to block that passing lane. Because I think it was the right-back Coyle who had the ball. Basically, McLean was obviously aware that the lap was behind him. But the lap moved slightly deeper to pick up the ball. And obviously, Gibson wasn't going to go near him. So Coyle's managed to play the pass around McLean. 
And then with the Norwich defence dropping off, that's given him the, the time and space. I think McLean does come back and try to pressure him from behind. But obviously, the uh, lap puts it onto his left foot. Gibson isn't able to get the block in. And it's a really, really good save from, from Angus Gunn. Yeah, I do feel like, even though that was the only chance of the second half for them, I do feel like if you're in a position, that's where you'd probably target Norwich, is you'd look to try and play it through that midfield. Because both McLean and Sarah, they like to press. And with it being a 4-4-2 out position, they don't have that midfielder shielding the back four. So if you're an opposition manager, that's obviously the space you'd look to target. Yeah, I think the only other thing worth mentioning at this point, perhaps, is that the lap chance ended the most intensive period of the game, I would say. And what happened shortly after... I think we saw sort of a, a variety of subs come on, on on both sides. The intensity dropped and kind of a rhythm went out of the game. And even the, the crowd, that was definitely the point where they went the quietest from about you know 65 to, to 75 minutes. But yeah, luckily we kept our composure. Yeah, it was a very, I guess, scrappy part of the game, I felt. And actually it was during this period that I think Norwich lost a bit of momentum. They didn't really have many chances or, oh, shot, uh, well, I don't even really mean chances. I mean like shots on goal or shots that were blocked, to be honest. And I think a lot of play was outside of Hull's box. And actually it's when Hull were defensively the most solid. So moving into the 69th minute period, this was a period where Norwich didn't create a lot of chances. We didn't see the volume of opportunities that we saw in the first 45 minutes. There was a triple sub made around 74 minutes. That was Nunez, Omobabadeli and Springett coming on. I was pretty disappointed to see Sarah and Rowe taken off, the two most dangerous players. The, the players that were causing the most amount of problems for Hull, always picking up really, really good positions in the half space or the centre of the pitch. Was this tactical or performance related? Maybe you can talk me through that. I think it was purely down to fitness, especially with Sara. I mean, he hasn't really had much of a pre-season. I think we've got to try and trust you know, the coaches in this situation. They must know that he was only going to be able to play for around 70 minutes. It came after a pretty intense period of the game as well that sort of 45 to 60 minute mark especially so yeah and and there and there was a little bit of a drop off in energy from Sarah the 10 minutes after that I felt I wasn't completely shocked by that substitution now with the row one I wonder is this a substitution that is made three four seasons ago or a couple of seasons ago like before we had the rule come in that you could make more substitutions. I don't, I don't think it is. And, and I do wonder about this with managers in general throughout football at the moment, whether there's a tendency to use too many subs and, and you end up spoiling the rhythm and the intensity that you've managed to create. But I think that's another aspect that needs to be looked at going forward because certainly last season, Wagner's use of subs was particularly worrying at times. Quite often... He would bring on three, four players at once and we would just completely fall to pieces after that. You know, we wouldn't be able to create a chance because there would just be no cohesion at all. That didn't happen quite so starkly this time. Although, again, it did take a few minutes for some of those players to get into the game. I thought Nunes, the longer he was on, the better he looked. But generally, I think it was first game of the season. Fitness levels probably played a part in it as well. James, did you have any thoughts? The only thing I was thinking about with Rowe was whether he was affected at all by that big challenge he took maybe five or ten minutes before he went off. But I don't think there's any injury there, so maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I do think <laughs> Nunes and Springer are downgrades on both Sarah and Rowe. Nunes, for example, in the 74th minute, did really overhit the pass to Stacey. 
I remember thinking at that point, well, with Sara the way he's playing, I just don't think he would have done that. And again, it was the sense of, I think it was Fashnak had taken the left back into the half space, which allowed Stacey all this space in the right channel. And all, you know, he had time on the ball, the ball was stable, and it actually should have been a pretty simple long pass into Stacey's feet. It was really, really overhit. And I just felt at that point at 1-1, again, because there had been less shots on target and less chance creation, I did think, I don't know whether this substitution, even if it had been fitness-related, was going to cost Wagner. But I think you're also right, Adam, in that I think Nunes did look a little bit better as the game went on. And he took that shot from outside of the box, which led to another Ingram save and led, yeah, obviously led to a corner, which which meant more pressure in the whole box. Yeah, that's the thing about Nunes. Whenever I, we get a sub appearance for him, I always think that he gets better the more he plays and you're always sort of left wanting more, which is why I'm so keen for him to start a lot of the time. If he starts, he's got more time to impact the game. I'd just like to talk about Omar Vidali coming on as well. Obviously, Wagner wanted to start with that left footer for build-up reasons, which I could totally see the reason for. I think it's quite clear that Omar Vidali is the better defender and you probably feel safer with him sort of chasing back towards his own goal with a striker behind him because he's just better at using his body and I feel like he's more composed in situations like those. So whether going forward into tough games, especially next week, they opt for the better defender and pick Ombamadali over Gibson. That's a question to be answered. Yeah, that's a really good point. So obviously, uh, Eda's winner comes in the 95th minute. Was there anything around that goal or the build-up to that goal that you found interesting or, or that was particularly successful that Norwich did? I think that there was like gen- a more genuine attempt to stay calm and try and actually work an opening. Whereas last season, you felt that if we're a goal down or even level with like 25 minutes left, we'd just start launching it at the box and shooting at every opportunity. And it got really frustrating. I don't know whether it's a lack of leadership or characters on the pitch, but you'd feel like they just panic and feel like they need to score straight away rather than understanding it doesn't take long to score a goal so they could take their time and try and actually build a good chance. I felt it was better yesterday on that front. Yeah, I think when you're talking about that, there was a really nice straight long ball down the line from Duffy to Stacey. And obviously it was a bit debatable whether it was out for a corner or not. I think on a dry pitch it would have held up a little bit, but it was a good pass from Duffy. And again, something that you might not have seen last season. In terms of the goal itself, it gets headed out and it goes back over to Nunes. And the riffing that I really like was Spring it taking the defender away because he makes this run off the blind side of the defender. It means that allows Nunes a bit more space and time just to pick that cross. And obviously, Obviously, it didn't go to a Norwich player. It comes off one of the Hull players and calls to Adam Eder, rather fortunately. And it was some good composure, I thought, from Nunez as well. I mean, his corner wasn't the greatest. I think you could sense a little bit of a, a sigh from the crowd when he hit that one in. Didn't really go into the right area. So, yeah, when the ball came out again, obviously helped by Springer's run, like you mentioned, he, he managed to get uh, a lot better ball into the box, which created the havoc, which uh, led to Adam Eder managing to poke home so yeah in summary uh over the course of the 90 minutes was there anything that stood out in terms of tactical aspects in terms of what norwich did on and off the ball what were the standouts to you i thought on a team level the uh the workout possession was extremely good it was just really nice to have a norwich team that's good out of possession because over the past 10 years or so it's been quite rare i thought the way we restricted hull to building attacks in very limited ways was really good. In terms of individuals, I have three standouts, which would be Yanulis, Sarah and Roe. I thought they were all outstanding in this game. Yeah, I think I think I agree with those three being the standouts. I think the most pleasing thing for me was that it wasn't really the performance that I expected. And I was pleasantly surprised by just how many chances we were able to create. And it was against Hull, 
who are fairly average at this level, but they're not like absolutely terrible. I mean, it, you could clearly tell they're not like a team like QPR who are in complete disarray at the moment or anything like that. So yeah, that was certainly a, a pleasing aspect of it. Twice as many shots in this game than we averaged last season. Our XG, therefore, was also about two times better than it was last season. I also noticed that we played a lot more forward passes than we did for for most of the games last season. There was just so many positives to take from the in-possession, which I wasn't necessarily expecting to come on this pod and say before that game kicked off yesterday. Yeah, I kind of had maybe a bit of a narrative already set in my head. Uh, Maybe you can put a klaxon in there, Sam, for the word (laughs) narrative. Sorry, but I I think before the game, I was maybe more concerned with the attacking creativity side of things. But after this game, I would say my biggest concern might be to do with the centre-back partnership and how that might get tested over the next few weeks and and especially against, obviously, much better players and a much better side, Southampton, next weekend. Yeah, I agree with both of you, especially in the first half, the the chance creation and the yeah the amount of XG we managed to accumulate was really, really good. I think we all knew, looking from pre-season, that Norwich playing in a 4-4-2 where all the players knew their roles off the ball we're going to make them much more tough and much more compact. And we did see that. But yeah, if they can replicate what they did in the first half in terms of transcreation and do that over 70 or 80 minutes, then they're going to be a very dangerous team and they're going to have a very successful season. So yeah, on that kind of rather positive note, I think it's a good time to leave it there. So James, Adam, thanks very much for joining me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. 